Today on Work at Life, we're going to be discussing the very hot topic of burnout, see what I did there, with the awesome Hamza Khan, who is the best-selling author of Leadership Reinvented and a global keynote speaker whose TEDx talk, Stop Managing, Start Leading, has been viewed nearly two million times. Join us. Welcome to Work at Life. This is a show for everyone who believes that work should be just as fulfilling as life outside of work, and that the way to get there is through building more human workplaces. I'm Maddie Grant, a culture designer and co-founder of a culture consulting firm called Propel, and I'm your co-host alongside my fabulous friend, Sonia Lucina, an organizational psychologist heading up the workforce division at Question Group. so excited to have you. Um, why don't we start off with you introducing yourself and telling our listeners a little bit more about you, yourself and your background. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you, Sonia. I'm also very excited to be here. I'm absolutely honored to be part of the Work at Life podcast. Uh, a little bit about myself. I'm a speaker. I'm an author. I'm an educator. I'm a researcher. My focus, my passion is around the future of work and um, I understand that's an ambiguous term, nebulous even. When we talk about the future of work, I guess, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know why, but 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 Will Ferrell's character from Blades of Glory just popped into my head. Nobody knows what it means. <laughs> Nobody knows what the future of work means, but it's provocative. It gets the people going, right? It's three three big questions. Who does the work? When and where is the work done? And how mm -hmm. is the work done? And I suppose many of us, myself included, are asking a fourth question. Why is the work done? Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit about me. I love it. Well, you're here amongst friends for sure, because we are very obsessed with the future of work. And I think what's interesting about these times is that some of it, some of the things we've been dreaming about have been accelerated for mm -hmm. a variety of reasons, which we will talk about and do talk about on this podcast a lot. But before we dig into our topic for today, um, as always, we want to kick off with a data point. So Sonia, Take it away. Yes. <laughs> One of my favorite parts. So um, as Maddie mentioned, today's episode is all about burnout. And it's definitely something that through our show has been interweaved in different kinds of topics because it is something that really touches all aspects of our lives. And so just last week, um, hot off the presses, we asked 300 workers in the U.S., how often do you feel burned out from your job? And a third of people, or 32%, still said very often, um, and 39% said sometimes. So between those two, we have 71%, or nearly three quarters of the workforce, that's still feeling burnt out, which, you know, we'll let Hamza interpret the data in a little bit in his view, but I would say, you know, whenever you hear three quarters of something, it's generally like mm -hmm. leading towards the majority, mm -hmm. and maybe it's not great. However... On the more positive note, we asked the same question about a year ago, and actually, at that point, 82% of people said that they're either feeling burnt out very often or sometimes. So there was an 11% point drop year over year. Um, so again, some of those silver linings, like maybe we're still not in this nirvana place where we would hope to be when it comes to burnout, especially as it's cost from our job. But at least we're seeing some positive trends. So um, with that, Hamza, first wanted to kick off by asking you, how do you define burnout and what actually got you interested in this topic? Wow. Uh, 
well, what a way to tee up <laughs> what's going to be a very, very interesting deep dive in, into this very hot topic, as Maddie put earlier. Uh, what got me interested in burnout? Wow. Okay. And let me start with a definition of burnout. So, wow, this is really interesting. In 2019, the World Health Organization reclassified burnout, and they defined it, and they ascribed three dimensions to it. Number one being feelings of energy depletion. Number two mm -hmm. being increased uh, mental distance from one's job, and the third being reduced professional efficacy. And I thought that was really mm -hmm. important for them to do because up until that point, I felt as somebody that was a very nascent researcher, if you will, or somebody very curious about the topic, I couldn't really find a good definition of burnout. I was using different models to describe it. Yeah. Um, I would talk about it in the context of losing fire, losing physical, mental, emotional, and even spiritual fire, if you will. But I'm really glad that they did that. And yeah. I'm glad that they did that because when you think about how the term burnout was coined in the 70s by Dr. Herbert Freudenberger and Dr. Gail North, being the, the, the two pioneering researchers on, on this topic, they, they so, so we call it burnout colloquially, but the proper term is burnout syndrome. And, and that, that mm -hmm. definition is important. Mm -hmm. Because it has two components. Like the, the, the metaphor of burnout is really interesting. So first you have burnout as a syndrome, a collection of symptoms. But then you also have humans as energy systems, which gain and lose energy. And I'm really glad that they introduced that topic when they did, because it, it gave a language to describe something that demanded immediate treatment. But the challenge with that is that it tends to medicalize and individualize solutions to burnout. And yeah. then this comes back to why I became interested in burnout. And it's very relevant that we talk about like this tendency to medicalize and individualize solutions because I burned out in a very peculiar way. If we take a more abstract concept of time, I think I burned out in a future workplace. So I, the last time I burned out was in 2014 and I burned out in a unionized environment in a higher education mm -hmm. institution that mm -hmm. was full of love and community and nurturing support. And I had all the wellness resources available to me. I was also a leader. I was self-actualized. I was running an entrepreneurial team. And I somehow burned out in this paradise-like environment. And no amount of wellness or self-care or no amount of community support could have prevented me from experiencing burnout in the way that I did. So I became very curious about what happened to me. I was completely yeah. caught off guard. How did this happen to somebody like me, myself? a high achiever, and maybe I'll take it a step further, an overachiever within this very idyllic space. And that over the last seven to eight years has prompted further and further inquiry into the upstream factors that cause burnout and looking at burnout as a keyhole issue into a much larger tension. And that I believe is a tension between, you know, for lack of a better phrase, fear-based leadership and love-based leadership. And hmm. we, can, we can go into that, but that's, that's sort of the that's edges of my research that. right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Tell us, tell us more about that. So it, it's interesting. So another, one of the pioneering researchers of burnout, uh, Dr. Christina Maslach, big fan of her work. She has one of my all time favorite quotes with, with regards to burnout. And, and I'm paraphrasing over here. She says, um, you know, workplaces can be very unhealthy environments. If you take a plant and put it in a pot and don't give it enough water and lousy soil and not enough sunlight, I don't care how gorgeous the plant was to begin with it isn't going mm -hmm. to thrive. And there's this term that, or this phrase that gets thrown around a lot in high octane workplace cultures. You know, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. I'm mm -hmm. sure we, we, we've, yeah. all three of us have heard that throughout our careers. Yeah. And guilty yeah. as charged, I have said that, especially when running, you know, smaller, scrappier startup-like yeah. teams, even within the startup context. 
the problem is, what do you do if the whole kitchen is on fire? <laughs> right? And, and, and her right. research involves looking at the upstream mm -hmm. factors that predict burnout for employees. And um, the, the acronym that I rely on is FVCWRC, which if you take the V and you, you know, interpret it as a U, it kind of spells something that I'm not sure I can say on this podcast, <laughs> you know, but, but it's essentially a, a lack of fairness, number one, uh, mm -hmm. inconsistent or missing values, a lack of control, unsustainable workload. And that's the big one, right? Especially in light of Gallup research that shows that if put in 50 hours of work a week, your risk of burnout is significant. And if the work week exceeds 60 hours of work a week, then it becomes a question of when you're going to burn out, not if. Uh, mm -hmm. That was four. The fifth one, uh, insufficient reward and the lack one being toxic slash poor community. And when I look back at the reasons why it was that I experienced burnout at that time, it had very little to do with me. I mean, I, yes, I was an overachiever. Yes, I did neglect my needs. Yes, I, I, I was feeling a compulsion to prove myself. And I did engage in the, or I did begin down the path of, of, of burnout. But as a leader now, as somebody who is removed from that, who is encountering the research and, and, and conducting some firsthand research around like why it is that even though we're living in a time, a supposed golden age of resources for beating burnout and wellness, that we haven't produced the intended results. And the reason seems to be, I keep on running up against this reason, the reason seems to be is because we have unfairly downloaded the responsibility for beating burnout to the employee, to the mm -hmm. individuals in the form of benefits in the form of, um, you know, the onus on you to take care of your wellness, but we haven't addressed the upstream problem, which is leaders, I think, leading from a place of fear, unfortunately. Mm. So that's so key because I think um, a lot of what we talk about on this podcast um, is, is intended to address this dichotomy. So there's a lot about what you as an individual employee can do um, you know, in a variety of different themes and topics and whatever, but it's always balanced with what the organization can do. Um, because it is, I think that you're totally right that, that on a topic like this, it's like, well, you're working too hard. You're, you know, too, um, sensitive to the things that are being thrown at you. Mm -hmm. you your skin isn't thick enough. Sure, you don't have enough resilience. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so here are all the solutions to fix those problems that are in you, the employee. But in fact, even if the employee knows that a lot of the problems are external, you start believing it's all you, right? And especially right. if you're working with a group of people who are maybe younger or have more energy or don't have kids at home or whatever the case might be, you know, it like it's very easy to like internalize that it's there's something wrong with with you yourself. You Absolutely. Know? Well, I, oh yeah, go ahead. I, I, one thing Hamza, you were saying, like, you know, maybe being an overachiever is a lot of times, like I, I can empathize with that. And a lot of times, like then you, the belief might become, but I can fix this myself because in some yeah. ways, like it makes uh, yeah. you feel more empowered. And to yep. say like, I, I almost want to believe that this is all on me because then it's all on me to fix it. And if it's on others, then I, I need to leave something to chance and I don't want to leave it to chance. Like I don't want to leave it to, uh, but so much of it, I, th I think your point is, is so valid with leadership and their impact. And I think one trend that I like seeing in the market, but I think there's still a lot to do there or like not in the market in the, in the workplace is a sense of community. 
And mm-hmm. how do you build relationships with your team? How do you build your relationships with your colleagues? Where probably for a while, your direct leader will still maybe have some disproportionate impact. But how do you create a community that helps you build a career and everything around it um, that doesn't, that allows you to, that now the word thrive is being used a lot, but it yeah. does allow yeah. you to feel really fulfilled, that it allows you to feel like good about it without having to make a lot of different sacrifices. So when we, when we talk about the future of work, that's one thing that makes me excited is thinking about building, like what's in a sense of recipe of the sense of community that we can all help each other versus having some of these disproportionate impacts where it's like the organizational culture and who controls that and who impacts that and the leader, but together, how do we create a space where we help each other eliminate, you know, some of these stressors and, and put in the more positives. I, I, I love that Sonia. And, and, you know, I'm, 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 I'm giddy with excitement that thrive <laughs> is becoming a, a sort of a, a tired term in this day and age when, you know, for the last three years, we've just been focused on survival. And, yeah. and I think that's what I try to do. And I imagine that's, you know, what, what both of you try to do as well in, in your individual work, but also through this podcast, I think we're all in the business of helping people thrive in the future yeah. of work to not just survive, but to thrive, especially considering we're going to spend most of our lives working most of our yeah. lives in some sort of <laughs> workplace setting. Like why right. not do exactly. something that's good for us, good for our communities, good for the planet at large, good for the future. Um, Community is really interesting, and and it goes back to one of Christi, Dr. Christina Maslach's six upstream factors that predict burnout downstream. Mm-hmm. One of them being poor slash toxic community, essentially the loss or mm-hmm. absence of positive interactions with others. I have a background in student affairs, so I spent most of my career mm-hmm. working in the higher education space, helping with new student orientation primarily. And one of my earliest roles was as a digital community facilitator, which is to mm-hmm. to create a sense of togetherness online for a primarily commuter campus. And I didn't appreciate fully the value of that work until very recently. I look back at that and I think, wow, knowing what I know now, if we didn't do that work, the stress, the burnout, the attrition, the depression, all kinds of mental, physical, and emotional challenges would have, would have been out of control had mm-hmm. there not been the intentionality from our leadership to to support student transition and community building online and offline. And I'm really excited to know that more organizations are thinking this way, especially in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. It has been a, a, a reckoning for, for leaders who have had to take a step back and acknowledge their own fears, who've had to be vulnerable and say, <laughs> I'm not doing well. Like I, you know, I, 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 maybe when I was in the office, I had the advantage of appearing presentable. Like I had all the answers, like I had it together, but the truth is I'm at home. I'm with my family. I'm maybe alone. I'm terrified of this. And, um, I need you. I need my employees yeah. and, and you need each other. So let's find ways to recreate the sense of community that we might've enjoyed in our physical workplace online and even now that we're getting further and further into the conversation about do the, what does the future of hybrid work look like, I know that many HR leaders and just people leaders in general are thinking about intentional ways to create a sense of community at every step of the process from onboarding through work through even yeah. offboarding as well. Yeah. I love that. And- sorry, <laughs> sorry, Sonia. Okay. I was just, I was just uh, thinking about community because I also have a passion for online community, but in a different context, which is around uh, membership associations, which are mm-hmm. a lot of the, the groups that I work with. But, but I'm seeing a trend 
towards a complete re-energizing of online community, which is not a new concept, of course, mm-hmm. um, but it they it might have gone a little dormant in the last few years. And then since the pandemic, you know, it's just come way back up to the forefront. And I think you're hitting on exactly why that is, is because you even if you can't be in person, or you can be, but you now have lots of staff who work in other cities or other countries, right? right? Um, you can use like online um, spaces um, totally. if, if you do it intentionally to build that positive community. And I feel like this has also been on the, like a correction for many leaders who might have overly relied on a very sort of outdated and, and yeah, look, look, let's make no, no, no mistake about it. Like it is fun depending on the group, but it can't be the only way that you socialize, which is after work drinks. That's the easiest thing. <laughs> and I remember that there came a point in my career where I said, I'm not into this anymore. Um, a, from a health perspective, but B, because, B, because it tends to devolve yeah. into people, the same people just talking the entire time. And just as, as, as the evening progresses, the, 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 the actual, bonding that is possible from doing other varied activities tends to diminish. It has diminishing returns. So this is great for people who live in other parts of the world. This is great for people who don't drink. This is great for people who have (laughs) childcare and dependent commitments who can't make the time. This is also great from a microaggressions and safety perspective as well. So leaders have had to become very creative about how it is that they create community online. And it doesn't have to be ornate. It doesn't have to be complex. It could be as simple as a very intentional one-on-one. That's it. A simple, intentional one-on-one where you where you just have an honest, open, vulnerable conversation with your direct report or somebody else in your organization. And it could be guided with questions or it could be unstructured, but it could be as simple as that. And uh, I've, you know, I've, I've been lucky to have been a part of many different attempts to create online community throughout the pandemic. The most creative I'll remember was a uh, mac and cheese cooking competition. <laughs> where we were given challenges. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Student Life Network and, and Steve. Uh, we were given yeah. ingredients. We were given limitations. We all had to put together our best mac and cheese dishes in the middle of the workday. This is what didn't happen in the <laughs> evening or a weekend. It happened in the middle of the Love workday. It. And uh, it was such a great bonding opportunity for our team. And I thought, wow, I, like this would have not been possible unless we had the constraints of the pandemic to help everybody realize that yeah. there is a better way to do this than just after work drinks. Oh, I love that to to make to get you to think outside in a in a more creative way. But like really, to your point, we've done some things the same way for so long, and it didn't seem broken enough for people to look for a different way. And now this this really triggered. You actually, gave me a really good idea mm-hmm. for an activity I can do with my four year old tonight. <laughs> I think the, <laughs> the mac and cheese. I'm like the amount of cheese we have at home, and he loves pasta. So and the criteria is the cheese pull, right? Like you get you get bonus points for how how the, the gossamer quality of the cheese pull. I love, I'm sure Matteo will love like no matter what the cheese <laughs> turns out like, but I will I will report back on that. Um, the one thing I wanted to make sure to do because we this conversation is just phenomenal, but we never gave you a chance to like give your take on the data point. Oh yes. <laughs> so okay. before before we high five, like and you know exit out of the show, we still have some time left, but. Um, I did, I did want to have an opportunity to hear your take, because again, we have 71% of people saying they're either very often or sometimes burnt out. Um, And it is an 11 point drop from what we saw last year to recap, you know, because it's been 20 minutes (laughs) since I mentioned that. When you saw that, what did you think? Was it surprising? Was it expected? Like, what do you take out of that? 
Okay. And and thank you for for circling back. I think this is this is a very potent data point to respond to. And I want to provide full disclosure to the audience. I, I did catch a glimpse of this data point in advance of the conversation, but truthfully, I didn't allow myself to reflect on it. I wanted to do this in real time because this data point is actually surprising to me. So I've been looking at the last decade, uh, I've been looking at, at, at two sets of data. Number one being the growth in potential solutions for an interest in beating burnout, like looking at the growth of the fitness market, pharmaceutical market, downloads of books, podcasts, apps, all related to helping people beat burnout. And there's every indication that we are living in a golden age of solution interest. Everybody's interest. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you are interested in burnout to some degree, I imagine, right? It, the, the, the term has entered the lexicon. It has even become, you know, it's become memefied in, in 2022. Is that even a word, memefied? But we'll the other data work. set I've been looking at, <laughs> the, the other data set I've been looking at is uh, have, has the, the growth in interest and solutions produced the intended result? And over the last decade, the answer is no. Burnout has actually gotten worse. It's become more frequent. It's become more intense. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I like to rely on a couple of different data sets to inform that. Gallup does this annual uh, survey where, where they find out just the state of, 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 of burnout and, and Spoiler alert, it's bad. It has been bad. And um, Blind actually produced a uh, data set, and so did Microsoft as well, which both indicated that people have been burning out at least once on average during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And the number, Sonia, to, to take a, something that you said earlier on, like whenever we hear three quarters of something, we usually mm -hmm. think that that's a good thing. But in the context of burnout, that's horrific. <laughs> yeah. So I'm surprised that the year-over-year -year number seems to be decreasing. And that is exciting for me because this is the beginning of potentially a pivot of the last deck from the last decade of my life where I've just operated with the assumption that this is getting worse. We're doing the wrong thing. We're medicalizing mm -hmm. and individualizing treatment over here. Leaders aren't doing enough. These sorts of conversations aren't happening enough. But clearly, as per the data set that you've shared, there's a glimmer of hope if there is a year over year decrease. As yeah. we're emerging well, from the pandemic, there seems to be some optimism that is, is much needed from this data set. I think what's really, really interesting is there seems to be a huge acceleration in, in change, right? Obviously because Absolutely. of the pandemic, but, but it's like, it's like the great resignation, right? Yeah. Another or quiet quitting, but, right? Yes, <laughs> but it's happening, right? And maybe that, and it's happening, you know, relatively recently is when it started. And maybe that's a sign that people are taking those lessons and realizing that burnout, the antidote to burnout is community, which is literally what your, what your theory is, right? Like mm -hmm. how amazing mm -hmm. is that? Mm -hmm. It's not the self-help book no. on your shelf. It's community. And, but that's something that a lot of people maybe are realizing just from living their lives and working too hard and being on zoom all freaking day long, Right. you know, and, and taking steps to change that and saying, no, I'm not going to go back to the office to add even more commuting, you know, annoyance to my already difficult day. I'm going to take a step back and find a job that where I can really balance all of these things. I think so. It's very, it's very encouraging. You know, whether we're talking about burnout, the great resignation, quiet quitting, or any other manifestation of employees mm -hmm. asserting themselves and trying to set boundaries and reclaim their health, their happiness, their purpose. 
These are all positive signs. And I think that they all are keyhole issues into that fundamental tension that I mentioned earlier, which is, you know, leaders leading from a place of love or leading from a place of fear. And unfortunately, it seems like for the last 5,000 years, at least, that the dominator culture that maybe has originated or has some roots in the Bronze Age has pervaded the development of business and leaders. It's, it's a style of leadership taught in schools. It's something that we learn from our previous workplaces, this idea that you have to have all of the answers, that you have to appear to uh, be capable, that you have to sound smart, that you have to micromanage or, or do these things that essentially assume that the employee isn't capable of managing themselves. It's an essentially antisocial style of leadership. And I'm really glad to know that that acceleration that you alluded to, Maddie, is resulting in people waking up to a better possibility. So again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised a little bit that the year-over-year number seems to be decreasing, but I'm also not surprised to Sonia's earlier point that there's still 70% plus who are yeah. indicating that they are feeling burned yeah. out. And that is terrifying because that means to me, knowing what I know, that people are literally dying for a paycheck and yeah. we have to move faster than we think. Yeah. yeah. Well, and sadly, like when we look at the stats to your point, like it was 82% last year, like at some point you're like, Wild. there's not a hundred is it, you know, that's it. Like there's nowhere <laughs> else to go. And so at some point, like the, just the rules of <laughs> gravity, it's maybe we just peaked so much that like at some point, like it's, it's optimism. It, it like, and to me, I still want to take that and say, okay, we're making some movement. Um, but then to your point, like also like without forgetting that like there was almost like nowhere else to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> it could have been right. like 85%. I mean, like at some point there, you've got to believe that there's some organizations and individuals that can really handle burnout and that have been actively selecting de themselves out of roles that made them feel that way or out of companies. And, and sometimes, you know, maybe it's your, your resilience and your ability to do it. Other times, maybe it's just the luxury that you have because you Absolutely. don't depend on that paycheck and you can say, listen, wait a minute, Certainly. I can still live well and comfortably. Sadly, majority of people can't do that, but it's almost like there's that one percentage is like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This is not what I signed up for. But um, so I think for us, it'll be it'll be good to continue to trend that data because this year's so crazy, right? Like yeah, you talk yeah. about the great resignation, then you talk about layoffs and like, sure. I don't know if these people like were clever enough to do this, but like a part of me that's like, oh, rainbows and unicorns and optimism. I'm like, when, you know, Malcolm Gladwell came out and talked about oh. like hybrid work in pajamas and this that guy take, quitting, I'm like, yeah. I feel like people did that on purpose just to have this uproar and have everyone yeah. say, hold on, yeah. wait, like, did they plant those seeds? Like, or did it, they really think what they were saying? <laughs> it, it grinds my gear and I, I promise I will, I will take a deep <laughs> breath over here, but grinds my gears. Um, you just have to look at this one survey that was done by Microsoft and Edelman in 2021. And mm -hmm. they were, it's, I think it's a work-life work life trend index survey or something like that. Uh, and it just showed like the, the, who, was, who was thriving and who was struggling during the pandemic. And it's exactly who you think. The people that were struggling were Gen Z, uh, mothers, women, uh, people of color, frontline workers. And who was thriving, if you had to guess? <laughs> Old white dudes. Starts with L, <laughs> rhymes with feeders, you know, <laughs> there you go. The leaders were thriving during the pandemic. And, and then you see the, the bad takes from Malcolm Gladwell. You see the bad takes from Elon Musk. You know, I, it's, just, it's, it's just, it's so infuriating. But I have to also acknowledge, and, and Sonia, I'm glad you brought that up. Like there is, 
there is some privilege in, in the discussion about who gets to deal with burnout, who gets to yeah. opt out of an organization. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And I, I think about my own life, you know, in 2007, that was the first time I burned out. I was a lowly intern at a major record label. Mm -hmm. I was making $15 a day. I, I needed that. And so yeah. when I burned out, I didn't tell anybody. I couldn't let yeah. anybody in the company, let alone my boss, know that I burned out, let alone I'd be perceived as somebody who couldn't hack it in the industry. Then I burned out again in 2014, mm -hmm. seven years later, didn't learn my lesson the first time I burned out in 2014. This time it happened in public. Everybody knew about it. And uh, it began a very uh, uh, tension-filled next two years in the organization where I burned a lot of bridges or bridges were burned mm -hmm. uh, because I... I I, ha I now had this target on my back of like, hey, you know, Hamza's, Hamza's a bit of a risk in this organization. Mm -hmm. But here we are in 2022. And if it's any if it's any consolation for people who might be experiencing burnout right now, we're listening to this. Trust that, you know, with the help of, of, of wonderful people like Maddie and Sonia, that conversations around burnout and stress and wellness mm -hmm. and what you can expect in the workplace, what you're entitled to in the workplace are becoming normalized. You can simply go to a boss in a healthy culture and say, I'm not doing okay. I think I'm burning out. I need some help. Mm -hmm. And if you happen to be in an unhealthy workplace where they might be, um, you know, uh, where they might not take burnout as seriously, you can still use the language of burnout and, and break it up into its component parts around, you know, uh, physical symptoms, mental symptoms, and emotional symptoms, and advocate for yourself in a way that makes sense in a traditional workplace. Like I am having headaches, I'm, I'm having stomach problems, I'm having trouble sleeping, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm chronically tired. All of these things you might get some acknowledgement for, and depending on, on what you say, what your symptoms are, there might even be some urgent support. But know that as grouped together, coming back to the original definition of burnout, burnout syndrome, all of these feed into some evidence of, of stress, chronic stress that has been unsuccessfully managed. Yeah. Oh, what a great reminder, Hamza. Thank you for that. And I think for, for people to hear it, because again, it's, it's a group effort, um, but there is a lot we can still individually do for ourselves to protect ourselves, to make sure that we're in the right environment. So making sure to think about those things and just try as much as possible to catch it before it, it, it goes too far. I think all of us, and as you were reflecting on your life, I, I was, you know, thinking back to mine and all the cycles. And I think we're always learning and we always, now the tricky thing about life, right, is I, I still feel much better armed uh, with experience than when I was in my early twenties, but man, life always changes. Yep. <laughs> You're in a different situation, different circumstances. Now what's good is you can still draw on much more experience than you could before, but you're like, ah, oh, man, this doesn't like directly apply, but if I pull on a few of these things. And so um, hopefully for people in general, I think I love like usually towards the end of our episode, we say like, oh, do you have something last to say? And I'm like, he's doing it. He's like wrapping everything up and the most practical takeaways wow. for everyone. So um, that was really phenomenal. Thank you. I, Thank as somebody you. that thinks and talks about burnout a lot, I still learn so much from you today. So I can't wow. imagine for for our listeners that don't live and breathe it um, all the time, like the three of us do. I mean, this, what an incredible conversation. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness, yes. Sonia, Maddie, thank you. Thank you for awesome. creating a space for this conversation to happen. And it would be really cool if we do like a one year anniversary of this podcast and ask the same question again and see what the year over year change <laughs> has been. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed that uh, we yes. might not need to do this burnout themed You're podcast on. in the Let's future. Do it. <laughs> we can wrap it up. We can, as, as I tell Matthew, we can pinky promise to do That's it. it. Uh, I love yeah. it. <laughs>
Love it. Thank you both so much. This is a, this is a true honor and, and thank you for doing what you do. Uh, I'm grateful for it. And I know that uh, all of the listeners and, 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 and the world at large is, is grateful for what you do. Thank you.